I certainly don't mean to freak anybody out, but, uh, but my name's Jerry, and I'm going to be uh, sharing this morning from God's Word. I'm actually behind you, coming down the aisle here. Again, I don't want to scare anybody. We don't want any of that. But we wanted to uh, start the message out in a little bit of a different way here this morning. And isn't it so nice to be, it's nice for me to be so close to you. In other words, it would be great to have you move up a bit. No, but listen, <laughs> I mean, kind of, I'm serious, but... So we want to start out this morning with something a little bit different. i got a couple giveaways here. This is the beginning of summer, and this is the beginning of our summer series, okay? And so I've got these freeze pops, right? These bring back some good memories. Some of you kids are probably indulging in these right now. Adults, maybe you too. But certainly when I grew up, we had a lot of these. Anybody in the mood for a freeze pop right now? I'm serious. To wake you up a little bit, who wants one? AJ, right over here, buddy. He's one of our band members. He's a stud. He's a stud, and he doesn't play baseball, apparently. So here you go, Zach. That's for you. Oh, and his dad's stealing one. And then, of course, the pregnant lady. Lauren, stand up for a second here. So it's the baby, the baby that wants it, of course. Here you go. Here's a napkin for you as well. But I wanted to give these away, a couple of these here to start things out, because um, these represent the summer, and these represent what we're going to be doing this summer uh, and, and Sunday morning in a couple of different ways, and I'll share those with you. As long as I don't die, all right. Wow. Very low expectations, apparently. Hmm. Ma'am. So anyway, um, you know, it, it's interesting because this is the first um, week of our series called Don't Waste Your Summer. And as I was thinking about this week and how to kick things off, something fun and cheeky here, that's also delicious and refreshing. But I was reminded that thousands of years ago, when the, uh, when the rabbis would be teaching their students, according to the Talmud, which is a giant book of all the regulations and rules and practices for the, the people of God, the people of Israel, um, when they went to this certain school at the age of six to the age of 10, there was very specific instructions as to how to begin this particular school of learning. They wanted these young pupils to be taught by the rabbi in such a way that would be memorable and in such a way that um, would uh, be effective. So the rabbis would take honey after they passed out these slates, you know, that the students would write on. They'd pass them all slates um, and then they'd go around with honey and they would pour a little bit of honey onto each slate that these students had. And then the rabbis would say, okay, pupils, I want you to go and I want you to lick the honey off the slate. And they would do that. And the reason that the rabbis did this and used this as an illustration is because they talked about the book of Psalm 119, verse 103, that says, May the words of God be sweet to your taste, sweeter than honey to your mouth. And that was just a physical illustration of something that was absolutely true. And they said, when you ingest this honey, we want that to be like you taking in God's word. We want you to understand the sweetness of it and how refreshing and how delightful it is. So this morning, I just want to toss around a few of these to remind us that also for us, starting this summer series is going to be vitally important to remember two things. I'm getting a brain freeze. Thing number one is this that it is sweet for us to understand and apply Scripture. 
If you've not been with us for the last six months or so, we, we did an in-depth study in the book of Acts, and our goal for this summer uh, about the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5 was, okay, we've understood all the concepts of what it means to have God living within us and empowering us to make a difference in the world. So what does that actually look like? And for some of us, for many life groups and people represented here, individuals, I know stories of this last year where you really have stepped out on faith and you've acted on the things that we've talked about. And you will agree that when you're doing that and when you actually put something into action, it's incredibly satisfying. And it's an incredibly sweet state of mind to be in that says, wow, God, all right, I acted out and look what you've done. I don't know if you've ever had a monstrous meal in that feeling of being completely satisfied and full after a delicious meal is one of the greatest things in the world. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, early on this week, uh, my wife and I uh, went out uh, for our anniversary to a little place called the Angus Barn. And um, I don't know how many purveyors of the Angus Barn that we have here. This is a free plug for anybody listening that may be an upper management of Angus Barn, by the way. Listening to our podcast, gift certificates would be welcome. Um, but anyway, it's a really cool place. And, um, and, and I was staring at the menu, and this was our 20-year anniversary, so I'm looking down, and I see something that really caught my eye, and it was called the Tomahawk. That just sound like a great steak. I mean, it's got like anger in it, and it's just like the tomahawk, and it was a huge cut of meat. It was like the biggest steak on the menu. Now, I will tell you that I shared it completely with my wife, so I'm not a glutton, although I think I could have polished it off myself, I'm quite sure. But anyway, we had this delicious piece of meat, and it was just so glorious to have a fine meal like that, and that, that moment of satisfaction when you're done is just one of those priceless things, right? And you take that, and you multiply it by about a 1,000, and that's what David, the author of Scripture, said it's like to be satisfied with God and with righteousness and with acting in his goodness and doing what he wants you to do. Right? Check out this passage of scripture from uh, Psalm 63. David says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. That sounds a little disgusting, but you know what we're saying. A big ribeye is what he's saying. My soul will be satisfied like that and my mouth will praise you. I will praise you with my lips. I will be living in this state that says, this is good. This is right. And so our goal for this summer is, number one, we want to see how sweet it is to understand and act on Scripture. That's why we handed those out. And number two, uh, you know, what happens to these ice pops if you don't eat them right away? They turn into colored water, right? In the same exact way, guys, our days are short and the summer is short. There's an urgency to it. You better be eating this thing now and not hanging on to it because pretty soon it's going to be gone. And here we are already at the end of June, and it's going to be a blink of an eye, and it's going to be late August, September. Summer's going to be completely gone, and we're back in the rigors of work and school and whatever else. And that's why for this summer, there's an urgency about it. Uh, don't waste your summer. Don't let it just slip on by and be wasted. So our format for this, uh, for this summer is each week we're going to be taking one of these different um, aspects of the fruit of the Spirit and just diving into what does this look like for you in your world and how can we act on that. So that's kind of our goal here for, uh, for the summer. So um, you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 on uh, your copy of Scripture or on your device. Galatians chapter 5. 
um, this is where we're going to be spending all of our time. And it's interesting in this whole realm, this illustration of, of um, a garden and of agriculture, uh, for, for many of us who have lawns, small or large, it's a no-brainer that weeds come naturally, right? Think about this phrase up here. No one likes to pull weeds, but we all want to have a beautiful garden or a beautiful lawn. Is that not true? But the really funny thing about it is the weeds come without us planting them. They just have a way to weasel on in coming from under the ground or, you know, however they come. But it's just like, I don't get it. We just put fertilizer down and yet all of a sudden here they go. They're popping up again. And at my house, as I'm sure at your house, is like you've got your concrete driveway that has just a couple of small little sections in it. And like right in the middle, this tiny little crack, there's weeds growing through that. It's like, how do they find their way underneath the concrete? There's no sun down there, you know? Like, what in the world? In the most difficult places, they find their way to just sprout up unannounced. And then the good, uh, you know, the good grass and everything else, we plant it and we try and water it and it may or may not come up and it's constantly, we're constantly having to cultivate it, right? But the weeds come un unannounced and with no effort. They're just there. And I use that illustration because when we're talking about the spiritual realm and we're talking about these fruit of the spirit that we're going to be diving into, it's like, yeah, these, these take cultivation. These take a lot of hard work. But man, before we even dive into that, we have to understand the other side of it, the weeds that are mentioned um, so prominently in this passage, these things that come up and choke out the, this fruit of the Spirit that God wants to do in our life. So before we really dive in, we have to do a little soil preparation first, and we need to understand um, what th these, uh, these fruits of darkness compared to the fruit of the Spirit. So let's go ahead and dive in in, uh, in verse 19. Okay, and you'll see what we're doing here. We're kind of going to go backwards a little bit here in Galatians chapter 5, but I think you'll, you'll follow along okay. I want to talk to you a little bit about the, uh, the weeds of, and the fruit of darkness in verse 19. Here's what it says. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies, and things like these. So we can just stop right there and take a look at on the screen behind me. We're just going to leave them up here for a second. And I really want you to look at these. And I want us to recognize, again, that these things don't take work for us to cultivate in our lives. These things tend to come naturally. It's almost like there's a gravitational pull towards the things that you see up on this screen. And these first three have to do kind of with our, with our sexuality as humans, you know, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, all these things that we have to guard against because the world would have us increasingly inviting us into that sort of lifestyle, right? And then you look at these next two. These are interesting, idolatry and sorcery. And maybe you're here this morning, you're like, well, I'm not bowing down to anything at my house. And I'm not trying to conjure up any seances with sorcery, so those don't really apply. Except for, like we've talked about many times, idolatry takes a lot of forms. 
When you think about the things that you give your mental attention to and your emotional passion to and the thing that you spend your resources on as you're looking over your credit card statement, it's going to become clear pretty soon where your idols are. The things that you're pouring out your resources and affections on, those can be idols. Anything that's taking away from the glory of God and having him at the center of your life is an idol. And we can laugh a little bit at sorcery, but remember thousands of years ago, what a lot of these people would do is they would dabble in lots of different religions. Okay, over there in in the Middle East, there was all kinds of different religions and paganism and everything else. And what a lot of these people would do, they take little bits and pieces from each one and just kind of create their own mixture, kind of the God of their own invention. And if that's not exactly what's going on in the world today, I'm not sure what is. I want to create my own version of God. Yeah, I like some of this stuff about Christianity, and I like some of these things about Buddhism, and I like some of this elements of whatever it is, and you just kind of mix it together, and people are creating their own versions of who God is and what God looks like and how you should live. You look at these last few, a lot of them are, have to do with interpersonal relationships, right? Uh, enmity, which is like you know bitterness and malice towards each other, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Look at these three, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, people having thoughts and feelings towards other groups of people and letting that affect them and, and having anger towards them, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He's like, yep, all that stuff. I'm just going to put it all together. These are all evidence uh, and fruits of darkness that will try and choke out what God wants to do in your life. It's important to mention all that because, um, you know, of, of the way that the Apostle Paul, through the Lord, references this, this battle. Okay, so follow back with me to verse um, to verse um, 16. Think about the verbiage that is used here. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You notice the language that is used there? It's a battle, it's a fight. So what we're talking about this summer, guys, is not just, oh, how to make your garden more pleasant and have lots of pleasant fruit. It's an absolute war going on internally for each one of us of the flesh against the spirit. That's what's going on in the unseen realms. And my question to open things up this morning is, who is winning that war in your life? If you were to take this slice of life right now, this day right now, And to think about your life, who's winning? Is the enemy winning or is the Spirit of God winning? It's the way we have to think about it and that's the urgency of it. Because I think for far too often we haven't thought about this as a battle. We haven't had wartime verbiage when we talk about these things. But that's how Paul pictures it. And that's why it's going to be vitally important for us to vigilantly dive into this and open our hearts and open my, our minds to say, all right, Lord, teach me this morning. Teach me through your word. 
So today we're talking about the, the very first fruit of the Spirit, which is the fruit of love. All right, just a small little topic, you know. How many millions of songs have been written about love and books and, you know, breath has been wasted talking about love and this, this emotion, this feeling, this action and defining it and all of that. Just a small minor uh, endeavor that we have here this morning. It's obviously such an incredibly huge topic, but I want to really focus us here this morning with a couple of concepts that hopefully the Lord will use in your lives. Let's go ahead and read um, verse 13 through 15. Again, backfilling a little bit. Um, so verse 13, Galatians chapter 5, here's Paul. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So I would encourage you to underline that verse highlight it in your device, whatever you need to do, because this is not just a suggestion. This is not, hey, it may be a good idea if you... This is a straight-up command. This is the goal of our command. It's love and serve one another. Continue reading in verse 14. For the whole entire law is fulfilled in this one word, or in this one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So this whole idea of love is so prominent here, and it's all summed up. And remember, if you're a student of the word and of church, uh, perhaps you remember that the book of Galatians was written, and one of the main themes to the people it was written to was that we're no longer under the law. Okay, now you remember in the Old Testament they had all kinds of different regulations that were all good things to make them holy and they involved sacrifice and they involved tithing, they involved going to the temples, they involved doing good works, memorizing scripture, lots of different great things, but it was all a checklist. And when Jesus came, he opened the gates to heaven so that we have immediate access. We don't need to go through a priest anymore. We don't need to do these rote sacrifices anymore to gain favor with God. And so he's saying, hey, the, the law is done and love is our law now. Not rules and regulations, but love. But even so, it's like, hey, you know what? Don't uh, use this freedom that you now have in, in a way that's not proper. Let's use this freedom so that we can truly see God's love manifest through us. So three basic concepts that we just, very simple concepts that we want to hit on here this morning that will hopefully st stick in your minds and that the Lord will use. So what does this look like in our, in our lives? What is our prayer for our church, for Northwest Community Church and anyone else listening um, this morning? What is our prayer through Galatians chapter 5? Number one, we're going to pray that you would feel love. That you would feel love. It's funny because when you think about this whole idea of compassion and empathy, we need to recognize this morning that a lot of times it begins something internal. In your heart, in your mind, in your spirit, in your soul. You see something and you have this sort of empathy and this compassion that stirs you up and, and, and you want to do something about it. That's where it starts. And as we look at the life of Christ um, here throughout the Gospels, we'll see a certain pattern emerging of how he felt this love. Let me give you a couple of quick um, examples of this internal reaction. The woman at the well. 
many of us have heard that story, right? But here Jesus saw a woman of um, a very poor reputation, uh, a woman who was a different race than he was, a different gender than he was, a different religion than he was. And yet Jesus had compassion on her and jumped over all of those barriers that very easily could have kept him from her and most of the religious people in the society from someone like her. And yet he felt compassion and love and went and engaged with her and spoke truth to her and showed compassion to her. Very similar version is the woman who was caught in adultery. You remember that story? She's there on the ground, a bunch of judgmental men circling around with their rocks and stones ready to put her to death because she had been caught in adultery. And Jesus saw this situation unfolding and stepped in. And his passion and his emotion, his compassion, caused him to enter in and to engage, to protect, and to forgive. We think about over and over and over again Jesus coming upon situations where somebody um, was maimed or they were lame or they were sick or they had a daughter that was sick. Jesus had compassion on them. He felt that empathy. Right? What about this one? In uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 21, there was a man who came up to Jesus and said, how can I be saved? How can I become a follower of you? It's like the most ideal disciple situation ever, right? It would be any pastor's dream to have a stream of people coming up and be like, hey, I want uh, to be a Christian. How do I do that? And what does Jesus say? He says, sell all you have and give to the poor. But this man was called a rich, young ruler, and he had many possessions. And the Lord saw straight through to his heart and knew that he valued all of his stuff way more than he valued a relationship with God. But you'll notice in that passage, Mark 10, 21, it says Jesus had compassion on him. Jesus loved him. So it wasn't just the poor and the downtrodden and the prostitutes and the immoral that Jesus had a heart for. Forgiveness, it was somebody who was squeaky clean and, and wealthy, didn't need a thing of this world. Jesus still had compassion that stirred him up because he knew how futile a life of spending your possessions on yourself could be. This last one, you see several accounts of this in the Gospels. It's Jesus coming upon his last week of passion um, before he was crucified. That very week, he was descending down the Mount of Olives. I've been there. I've walked down. And you can see the courtyards of the temple right there in Jerusalem. And at this account, Jesus was going down and he stopped and he looked and he saw all the people scurrying around. And these were, these were people that were obeying the law, right? They were there for the sacrifices. They were doing what they were supposed to do. And there's a few bad seeds in the bunch, right? The people, the money changers that were cheating and everything else, right? But a lot of the other people, they were there to, for the Passover feast and sacrifices, doing what they thought should be done. But it says the Lord looked down on these crowds and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd confused and haggard and bothered because they needed somebody to share the truth with them. And it says that Jesus wept over the city. That's compassion. So our first question for you is what stirs you up? What causes you to feel love? 
What reaction internally do you have when you're, when you're faced with situations of injustice or need? Well, I did a quick little internet search, and again, public apology for the people listening on the podcast, because you're not going to be able to feel the full weight of what's happening here, but I did a search on some Pulitzer Prize-winning photographs of humanity caught uh, on film. And I just want to throw a couple of pictures up here to you, and I just want to ask you deep down inside, what do you feel when you see this picture? When you look at that right there, and, and I wasn't alive in the 60s when some of this happened, when some of these you know, peaceful marches were happening and when people unleashed fire hoses on them and with pain and with humiliation. But there's probably hundreds if not thousands of people just like you and me standing around watching and observing and whatever. What would you have done in that situation? What stirred you up in that situation? I would have hoped for me, I don't know, but I would have hoped that I would have jumped right in there behind him. I mean, who knows how I would have been gripped by fear, what everybody else is going to think. Who knows? But I look at that now and it just, it just grips me. Go to the next one. This is a prize-winning photograph right here caught in a moment where this poor young lady is finally given the opportunity to go to a good school. And she's on her way to class. And you got somebody else behind her shouting who knows what. I made the mistake of saying in the first service, I'd love to get in there and just kind of smack her in the face. But I quickly had to say, like, no, 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 no. Don't quote me on that. That would be assault. No. Wouldn't really do that. That's what I want to do. But I wouldn't do that. But what is she saying right there? And where was that girl last Sunday? Back in the late 50s, early 60s? My guess is she was sitting in a church somewhere. But what do you, what do you feel when you see something like that happen, bullying, mean, awful words, discrimination. Go to the next one. I don't know if you can tell what's going on here, but there's this young lady and she's reading the Bible. And these are not enemies behind her. Those are her parents. And they're training her how to stay focused and how to not engage when somebody's pulling her hair or when somebody's blowing smoke in her face. This is training that they wanted her to have to face what she was going to face in the course of everyday life in the 60s. Let's go around the globe a little bit. What do you feel when you see this picture? It's a child's hand somewhere over in Africa. Malnourished, no food, not enough resources. Go on to the next one. Here's a grandmother and young children fighting for resources, fighting for their own food when we here and carry in Apex and Morrisville and Durham and in our neck of the woods, this is completely foreign to us. We've got plenty. What do you feel when you see that? Go on to the next one. This is over in Ethiopia several decades ago. But you remember some of the crisis over there with the government and sin and vicious keeping of resources away from certain areas and this poor man is reaching out in desperation you know the lord didn't spend any more time or any more value on my soul than he did on that soul in psalm 139 the lord created that man 
and knit him together in his mother's womb and gave him a soul just like he did for you and, and me. How about this next one? This, this one a prize a few years back and what's so unique about this particular story is that little girl, this was, at a, this was at a refugee camp and she's obviously very close to dying of starvation. Um, you know, hopefully saved shortly after this photograph was taken. But you, what you got back there is a vulture that's just waiting. Just waiting for that moment when this child expires. And so what's sad about this picture right here is the, the photographer that took this shot actually ended up... Um, feeling like life was not worth living anymore shortly after this because they had seen so much devastation in the world and the brokenness of humanity. That stirs something up within us. How about these next ones? This is a woman whose husband was, was killed in the line of duty and that's, that's her body um, in the casket there behind her in the funerals the next day. But she just couldn't stand to be away from him. So she set up a bed and she's got her computer screen there and she's playing a playlist of a lot of their favorite songs and there's a soldier there behind on the left who's saying, I'm not going to let you stay here alone. I'm going to keep watch. Brokenness of humanity, what stirs us up when we see these things? What are you feeling right now? What do you want to do right now? Go on to this next one. These two are a little bit more recent. Camp Barnabas some special needs kids, some of our amazing kids that are willing to go and spend a week of their lives to change the week of somebody else's life and to give them the absolute week of their life? What do you feel when you see some of these faces of some of these kids living in their own world, their own simple worlds? What do you want to do when you see that? Compassion begins in the heart and in the soul. And maybe for some of us here this morning, the prayer is going to be, Lord, I don't, I don't feel love when I see some of these things. And my goal is not to just try and manipulate and show you some really sad pictures and get some, evoke some kind of response. My goal is to say, Lord, maybe for some, the, the redemption and the cleansing comes and we open our heart and say, oh, Lord, give me compassion. Let me feel what you feel. And let me be a reflection of what your heart was to the least of these and to the broken and to the lonely and to the disheartened and to those who have lost loved ones. It's vitally important that we feel love. Number two goes right along with it. Speak love. Seems simple enough, right? But how often do we leave people in the dark? We, we have this love towards them, um, but, but we don't share it with them. Look what Jesus said in uh, John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus said this, as the, he's speaking to his disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Disciples, I love you. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that in my joy, uh, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He wasn't afraid to tell his disciples and those closest to him how he felt and tell it to them often. Did they know that he loved them? Of course. But there's something about verbalizing in unique ways that shows um, the people that we love them the most, uh, that shows them the, the true reality of our heart. 
And there's something about verbalizing it even to the outside world that is so rare um, and, and so scarce that it'll take people off guard. You tell your coworker, you tell your neighbor, hey, you know what? I just want to let you know that, that I really appreciate you. I really love you. And here's why. Yeah, I read recently the last time that most people ever got publicly applauded or encouraged was when they graduated from high school or college. There's that element of love that is truly missing, this idea of actually speaking these words. And I wrote down a couple of examples of perhaps ways to frame it in, in unique ways if you want to speak love and communicate the way Jesus did. How about some of these? How about saying to somebody, hey, here's one thing that I love about you that separates you from everybody else. How about this one? Here's, um, here's some ways that you have impacted my life. Here's some of the things in my life that would be different if you were never in my world. And here's some of the things I love about that. What about this one? Here's where I, uh, here, here is where you display God's glory so beautifully. And here's what I love about that. Just some tools to help us be a more verbal people. We need to feel love. We need to speak that love. Most importantly, we need to show and act on that love, right? We've all heard of John 3.16. Man, that's a good one. We all know that one, most popular uh, Bible verse uh, in, in the entire world. But you know what? What about 1 John 3.16? That one's maybe a little bit less known, but should be equally as important. Here's what 1 John 3.16 says. By this we know love. Not know about, not have some information about, but this is how we experience God's love. That he, that is Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk about um, or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Actually springing forth into action is the most important thing that we see here in Scripture. So what is our goal for this fruit of love? What do we want to walk away with this morning as a church, as a collective, young and old? How can we leverage this idea of love in your neighborhoods and in your networks? If I can summarize it, I would say... One of our goals would be that a week from now and a month from now and a year from now, you can never look back on this moment, remember this slice, quickly fleeting. You can never look back and say, you know what, I should have done that. I should have said that. I should have felt more and that should have caused me to spring into action to bring God's glory and God's goodness and God's generosity and God's love to people that desperately need it. I want to read to you the last verse at the tail end here of Galatians chapter 5. This is so beautiful in verse 25. And this, is, this will kind of bring it all together for us, okay? It says this, so then, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one 
another. Do you notice that there in verse 25? Okay, we want to live by the Spirit. We want God to, you know, propel us forward. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You ever walking along with your young son or young daughter that's a toddler, and even when I'm walking with my wife, it's like I can, I'm a much bigger person and have longer legs. It's like, hey, slow down. We're not in rhythm of stepping here together. You know what I mean? You've seen that? What we're saying right here, uh, the good news for us uh, this morning, church, is that the Holy Spirit is going in front of us. The Holy Spirit is already there. He's already aligning opportunities for us to share God's goodness and to act on love with people. And what Paul's saying right here is, you know what? We just need to keep up. We just need to stay close. And we'll see all these opportunities unfold all around us because the Spirit of God is moving. That's what this scripture's saying. So what are we going to do with that this morning? That's not up to me to impose upon you. Um, That is up to the Lord to spur you onward and give you those opportunities. But our heartfelt prayer is that we will see these three things go in tandem. And I've got on the screen, just as we close and our band can go ahead and come on out, I've, I've got on our screen just a couple of different equations of how these things could go. What we've talked about here this morning I want you to look at these and I want you to maybe mentally kind of make an make a observation about where am I in this realm. Check these out. Sometimes we might feel love, we might have that compassion, and we won't say anything. That's robbery. There's people around that need to hear your heart and you don't want to rob them of that by keeping it inside. What about this one? Sometimes we say that we love and we don't feel anything. That's dishonest. If you're like, oh, I love my neighbor, I love my coworkers, maybe even I love my in-laws. But if that is not truly what's within your heart, then you need to ask the Lord to come in and fill you with that so that you're not dishonest. Sometimes we feel love and we don't do anything at all about it. That's hypocrisy. That's not the way Jesus was, right? And that's what we tackled in that last verse. Sometimes we don't feel love and we don't act. And that's not like Jesus at all. And maybe the prayer for you, if that's where you are, is Lord, come in and fill me with your compassion. Give me that heart so that I feel something. When we feel love, when we speak love, when we act on love, that's authenticity. And that's who we want to be. That's who I want to be. It takes work, guys. Gardening ain't easy. But man, I'm hoping and praying that you guys are going to be with us in the journey. All right, let's bow our heads together and let's pray. Our God and our Father, King of the universe, King of the world, Lord, we just thank you so much that that you um, you have left us scripture. You have left us instruction. You've not left us on our own. And Lord, we thank you so much that if we belong to you, if we've taken that step from death to life and we believe in your son Jesus and we've been transformed, Lord, we thank you that your spirit lives within us. And God, we pray even this morning that you would be very clearly bringing to our minds people, situations that need love. Lord, help us to stay close to your spirit and in step and so in tune with him 
that we can't help but just see these opportunities unfold. We would stop um, living in the dark. We love you, God, and we just thank you for your word. In your son's name.